Cool. So, building for a better tomorrow. Uh, we live between the manger in Bethlehem and the marriage feast of the new Jerusalem, I heard someone once say. What does that mean? That means we're in the church age, where we live between Jesus coming to earth and Jesus returning to earth. And as it, honestly, every time I get up here, I feel more and more inclined to speak about the fact Jesus is actually returning, um, more so than I've ever felt before. Um, you know, when I was leading worship for many years at our, at our West Campus and running the worship team there, I was thinking the other day, we don't have many songs that sing about Jesus returning. And I wonder why that is. And maybe it's just hard to find the right lyrics to put it into songs, you know, like the songs we're singing this morning, they're awesome. How do you tack on? And by the way, Jesus is returning. Like, how do you put it in there? We don't sing. I mean, it's theology. It's true. It's in the Bible. But we don't actually sing it a lot. So if anyone gets inspired to write a song about Jesus returning, please share the lyrics with us. But the reality is we're here and we're building and God is doing something right now in your life and in this place, in Parnell. And we are a part of it. We are in the middle seat. The church has a purpose and a place and a power that is desperately needed in the people's lives around us and in this community. And, uh, you know, I think, I think many times you can hear about the former days, right? The days, the good old days, or what God has done previously in past times or generations or moves. But I really am, I, I, I love history. I love studying what God has done. And at the same time, I'm really interested in what God is doing now. And what is he doing tomorrow and in our lives? God's coming for his pure bride. He is the head of the church. And we need to seek him with our lives. So Matthew 16, we're going to read, if you've got a Bible, Matthew 16 or on an app, uh, verses 13 to 19. You can turn there, I'll read it out. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man, or who do they say I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen. Jesus said, I will build my church. Aren't we glad that it's Jesus that builds his church? I'm glad that it's Jesus that builds his church, but yet we still have a part to play in it. And Peter, oh man, I love Peter. Peter, you know, like he's in there for all of us to encourage us. We know Peter's story. If you know Peter's story, even a little bit, you know that he denies Jesus, not just once, but three times. We know that Peter often does say the wrong things before he thinks, I relate to Peter. Peter is one of those guys that's in there. He, he scampers for things. He gets it wrong, not, 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 not just once, but many times. And he's overcome with grief. And then Peter is so brokenhearted as his, as his disappointment and his own ability uh, and his betrayal of Christ. You, you, I reckon you could almost consider him a write-off. Like we would probably say of Peter, I don't know, Peter, when we stack it up in your position description or in your application form for the worship team, 
I'm just kidding. When you put it all together, we would be, we would be skeptical about you uh, in his life. Peter failed, but we all fail as well. When we add it up, when we stack it up, there's moments where we get it wrong. There's things that we do that, don't, uh, that are not pleasing to God, that, that hurt others. We make these decisions in our own lives. It's true. Tim Keller said that, you know, as Christians, we're countercultural, where failures and flaws are not only forgiven in the church, but they become building blocks upon which the church grows to become more and more beautiful. And I believe churches and Christians are a place and a people where failure and, and, and learning and then learning to grow is a part of what we do. And it's not frowned upon when there's failure. It's things that happen that we can build our life upon. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? God's power works wonderfully in our weakness. He takes the failures in our lives and turns those things uh, into his accomplishments. And I was talking a minute ago about worship leading. I remember um, many times thinking through in my head the perfect worship set that I would get to lead when I was um, doing a lot of music. And so I'd put it together in my head. I'd practice it. I'd, I'd go through all the songs and join them all together and make it sound, you know, wonderful. And then often it would get to the morning of doing the worship set and you'd be going through the band. And I remember one time thinking, this is just going to sound awesome to myself and my 23-year-old self. Uh, and we went through a song and then and I had a signal to go up the key, you know, from the key of G to the key of A. Musicians know what I mean. And we were going through the song and I turned around and I looked at the band and went, yeah, yeah, go up. And we were singing a song, um, you may know it, called Majesty, you know, um, um, Majesty, oh, majesty. Unfortunately, I went up a key, and I went to the wrong majesty. I mean, God's still majestic, but it wasn't in this song. And it, was, it wasn't majesty. It was some other. It was like, majesty, worship his majesty. And I remember thinking, oh, I looked around, and the, the keyboardist was looking at me sideways, the drummer was just doing his own thing anyway, but the, the rest of the band, the rest of the band thought, Why, where is this guy going? And thinking, thinking, man, how, how good, how bad do I sound? God works through our weaknesses. Eh? Like he, he actually is glorified in our weaknesses. I was thinking the other day, imagine if the church was built on our strengths. What would you get? What would be the result of, you'd get a pretty good drama show, I think. You know, you'd get a great dramatic, it'd be, it'd be on TV. If it was built on our strengths, how good would it be? You know, how muscular, how glorified, how amazing. And the tragedy is, I think, sometimes we have built it on our strengths. There's times when you look and go, man, is this man's work or God's work? How do we build this church on our weaknesses when Christ is glorified through weakness? Christ is not glorified when it's our strengths. We look good, but God is diminished. And yet, even as, as the disciples prayed, Lord, decrease so that you may increase. So I think one of, my, one of the things I want to say this morning is when we're building for a better tomorrow, we're not thinking human strength or all of our intelligence or all of our strategies or all of the things we can muster. You know, because at the end of the day, the fruit of man's wisdom is Cain murdering Abel. The fruit of man's wisdom is David lusting after Bathsheba at the pinnacle of his power. The fruit of man's wisdom is Peter uh, denying his Christ and Savior when it really mattered. So really what we're saying is when we're building for a better tomorrow, we're saying, God, you're glorified in our weakness. Because what the community around us and the nation and the city needs is a church that's not built on our strength, but where Christ is lifted up. 
you know, where people come and they're, they're okay to be failures, they're okay to mess it up, they're okay to be accepted as they are. And each one of us is also living out that lifestyle as well as followers of Christ. Does that make sense this morning? You tracking with me? All right, number one, God knows our weaknesses and he still chooses to use us. You know, I think back in the early years of, of pastoring, and I think part of me wanted to build a great church in the inner city uh, quickly and, and fast and, and with, with all those sorts of things. And uh, I think as I've realized, God is the one that's glorified when it's his spirit working through us. When we allow him in his timing, when we allow him in his way and his methods and his models. You know, this year we've had more people baptized in our church than we ever have had in any season. And yet it's been people coming to say, I need to get baptized. It's, it's no push. There's no program. It's just people saying, I need to do this. I need to, get, I need to follow Jesus more. I want to be baptized. And so when God is glorified in our, in our weaknesses, it's actually a strength. And that's the thing, is that God knows what real strength is. It's his ability working through our flesh, working through our humbleness to say, God, you have your way. So maybe wherever you are, maybe it's in your workplace or in your family or wherever God has positioned you, and there's a mindset that I need to be strong. I need to be uh, looked upon as the one that has it all together or can achieve in every field. And look, it's no problem wanting to do good and, uh, and, 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 and do well and achieve. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that actually sometimes God is more glorified in your life when there is an openness about the weaknesses, when there's a, when there's a humility to say, oh, yeah, I don't, I, don't know, I, don't know what, I don't know what's going on here. I don't actually know what the answer is here in, in this part, but I trust God. He is glorified in our weaknesses. You know, Christianity today, we've been hypersensitized to strong, to bold, to amazing, to overly confident uh, I was at the um, FIFA uh, match the other day, uh, yesterday actually, and it was surprising to me. You know, I was thinking about the the um, the, the football and, and all the players, you know, and they're, and they're professionals and they give it all their, their best. At the end of the day, I thought, you know, there's a point where they're not needed anymore. <clears throat> As a professional footballer, you're relegated. You know, you're, you're not strong enough anymore. You're not fast enough anymore. You can't keep up. At some point, you expire and you're not needed in the team. Imagine if that was the church, you know, imagine if that was our, our way forward, our model. And yet Christ, he identifies actually everyone is needed, everyone has a part. In fact, the toe is probably more important than we think, than the, than the arm. There's ways that Christ starts to speak into the language of building tomorrow that shows us he's interested in every part. No matter how insignificant we may think, and often those have more strength than we realize. So God is building his church, and he does it. He does it through his spirit and through our willingness to come to him and surrender and even work through our weaknesses. And that's where his glory is exalted and magnified. I believe this church in this city, in this place, is going to give God the glory when we're not out there to be strong as such, but we're out there to do his work through whatever means he wants to work through. Through our hands, through our feet, through our loving and through our weaknesses. So he still chose to use the disciples, and he chooses to do it through us. Listen to these words of Jesus. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. This is Jesus speaking of the disciples. Now, the, the, the thing I can't get my head around is that the disciples stuffed up many, many times. Like he could have chosen nine things specifically to identify they did wrong. <laughs> and the one thing he says is they have obeyed your word. In other words, Jesus 
He recommends them. He speaks highly of them. He chooses the one positive aspect of them, and he highlights it. He remembers it. He speaks good of it. And it's the same for you. It's the same for me. Jesus could easily come along and point out that sin of last year, of of yesterday, all those mistakes that you did at work, all those things that you let your family down with, all the times you thought that thought, or all those things that we do in our lives and our hearts. And yet he comes along, and he doesn't do that. No, no, he doesn't do that. That's not how he identifies you and I. He comes along. He doesn't base it on our performance. He comes along and he identifies us as sons and daughters. And he picks on the one thing. He says, look at my beautiful son or daughter or children. Look how much I love them. Look how much my hand is upon them. They have obeyed your word. Jesus is building a people that are surrendered to him. And they need to know who they are in Christ. You need to know your identity in him. You know, they fell asleep on Jesus, they betrayed him, they did all those things, but the one thing he highlighted was the one thing that he wanted to remember them by. So, you know, I don't know where you're at in life today, but God does, and he knows your weaknesses, and he loves, and he chooses to use it. He chooses to. So, he doesn't base it on our merits, but he simply loves us. So, the second point is, you know, we need to let God do the heavy lifting in life. We need to let God do the heavy lifting. When he's when we're building for a better tomorrow, we need to enable God's strength to come. He's a powerful God. He's a mighty God. We've been doing a series on prayer uh, in recent weeks, and one of the reasons for that is that when we engage God in prayer, when we call upon God in prayer, when we cry out to God in prayer, we invite the resources of heaven. We bring God into the situation. You know, we enable Him to come and to flow through us. We, we're saying, it's not just me, God. We need you, and you're welcome to move in this way. In this way. We need to let God do the heavy lifting. So Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor, all you who labor. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Maybe that's someone this morning. Heavy laden. Oh, man, life is just a burden right now. Maybe you're feeling like that. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I read a book on um, gentle and lowly, and uh, the author said, he said this about that verse, Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. It isn't as if his heart throbbed for his people when he was on earth, but is now dissipated now that he's in heaven. It's not that his heart was flowing forth in a burst of mercy that was with him all the way to the cross, but is now cooled down. His heart is drawn to his people now as it ever was. You know, he didn't just have one moment on the cross and that was everything. He didn't just at one time think of us and give us his heart. Even now, his heart flows toward us, gentle and lowly. And that's true. That is so true of the Christian walk. You know, every, every moment I'm feeling like, oh, God, are you in this? Are you with me in this? There's that sense of his, his peace, his power, his gentle and lowly heart coming towards us and being with us. So where are you currently doing the heavy lifting in life that Christ has already done for you? Or, you know, more specifically, why are you doing the heavy lifting? You know, I think there's moments in our Christian life where we do feel like, 
oh, God, okay, I need to make it up to you in this area. You know, oh, God, I need to, I need to earn something here. Or, oh Lord, I've let you down, and I need to kind of get back in your good books. I don't know what the level of the language you might want to use. But there's moments where we feel like we need to do a little bit of heavy lifting to help God out. Uh, and whatever it might be. And yet Christ has come and he said, you know, come to me. Let me do the heavy lifting. Let me take the weight. Let me do the lifting. He's already done all the hard work. <clears throat> There's another couple of stories in this as well. And that's um, John 6, 9 to 11. It says, here is a boy. And this is the story of the loaves and the fishes. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those that were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. It's a great story. I saw a meme the other day on social media that saw Jesus distributing all these thousands of fish and bread, and hands were going up and saying, I'm actually lactose intolerant. I'm actually gluten-free. Can I have the... Um... <laughs> oh, man. Jesus then went, I heal you. No, it's just going to know in Jesus' name. But, oh man, I just, this is a great story because I think it proves here that really it's Jesus that does the lifting. He does the power. He does the miracle. Yet, it passes through the disciples' hands. They are an integral part of the story. You know, no matter how much it's awesome about Jesus and the people, you know, he's still with his buddies, his disciples, working this out together. And he's there, and he's letting them be part of this miracle happening, and they're witnessing it before their eyes. Don't try and make multiplication or the miracles happen. You know, we try and do the multiplication. I think sometimes we want to see and we want to make sure it's done. You know, often God's spoken. He's about to fulfill it, and we trust in God. And then we get to the next day, and we say, I might just try and figure it out as well. I might just try and give God an extra push. Uh, I might just also look on, on, you know, on seek or on whatever you might be looking for, just to help God along in case he hasn't heard my prayer about that job I might need or about whatever it need it might be. We try and do the multiplication. Jesus says, just bring the loaves and the fishes. Bring what you have. Bring what faith you have. You only need a mustard seed of faith. That's all you need, but bring it to him. Let him do the lifting. Let him do the multiplication. I've, you know, I've found as a believer, one of the, one of the times, testing times, is having time to wait on God. When you have to wait on Him, when you have to trust Him with His timing, it can be one of the most testing times when you say, okay, God, I trust your timing. You know, when you're in it, who's ever been in a season of just waiting? You've got to wait for God on something, and there's this part of you that's grueling inside, like, oh, God, why did you make waiting a thing? Like, it's just hard to wait on Him, and yet that is part of that testing. That's part of that it's part of that place of trusting in God, of going deeper in our faith, of relying on Him, not relying on the flesh, but trusting in Him. All you have is all you need. What you have in your hand, you know, the loaves and the fishes was all that was required of them. They didn't need to have anything else. They didn't need to have things on the side. They just needed what they had in their hands. What is it that God's put in your hand that is with you right now? That's all that you actually need. You know, we may think we need other things, but actually all you need is what's in your hand. It, it may just be a desire to step out in faith and trust God. You know, there's, a, there's an area in your life you know God's just calling you to say, come on, take a step of faith here and trust me. It might be something to do with your finances. It might be uh, uh, trusting God for, for owning a home. It might be 
uh, relationship. It could be whatever it is. What is it that God has put in your hand and said, come on, it's in your hand. Don't wait for the, for the multiplication before you step out. Just trust me in it right now. You know, we put those um, forms on the seats today, um, and we're believing as God continues to breathe life into this place and as more people are baptized and as God continues to add, uh, that more people are also willing to, to, uh, to do and to help and to serve in His church and to do the things that God has put on their heart, their giftings and things like that. And so, you know, maybe it's just a really practical thing of serving in church. God has put something in your hand. But can I encourage you, whatever it is that you're facing today, let God do the heavy lifting. Let Him do the miraculous. Maybe He is already at work and you just can't perceive it, but believe that God is doing the heavy lifting. I I think sometimes the heavy lifting is softening a soul to His message of the gospel. The heavy lifting can be breaking a mindset that's been stuck in its ways for years and years. You know, God does the heavy lifting, and we are asked just to be part of it like the disciples. Just pass it through our hands. Just pray. Just show up with what you have. By the way, you know, if we try and do the heavy lifting, the likelihood is we'll probably pull a muscle, <laughs> have a hernia, or something will go wrong, and we're full of accomplishment. God doesn't want that. He's the one to be glorified. He's a good God, but He gives us good gifts. Whatever's in your hand, Come to God with it. Let God do the heavy lifting. But just be diligent to come to God with what you have. Cool. My last point this morning is just to, to be radically attractive, to shine the light of the gospel. You know, as the, world, as the world is in a dark place and things around us seem dim, Christians that have the message of hope and the God, God on their side, it's, it's an easy thing to shine brightly because we have the truth. We know the truth. We're on the truth side. God is fighting for us. It's not a time to hide away under a rock and, and put things away. It's a time to shine, to be radically active, to be, uh, to be salt and light in this world. You know, the message hasn't got that much complicated from when Jesus preached it. Be salt and light. Don't put your light under a bowl. You know, when people ask you, have an answer and be prepared. But I believe these things can often be lost on us in the busyness of life. You know, in the, in the surrounding culture we're in about, um, you know, we're at this football match yesterday. And I had to laugh. We went to see a football game. But um, I guess FIFA decided they also wanted to tell us about a message of unity. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a mascot or an MC, and they had a song all about unity. And it really got me. Like, I wasn't prepared for that. I was prepared for goals and shootouts. And all of a sudden, everyone's chanting this song about, you know, we come together, and I can remember the tune, oh, that's sad. Uh, we come together in unity, something about football, football. And I just, I just stood there in the moment and thought, what's this about? Like, unity, like we're just here to see a football match. We're not here in unity. And uh, I had to laugh because on the one hand was this, this thought of, let's all be in unity. And then on the other hand was uh, my daughter who got chosen to walk out the tunnel with one of the American players, which is pretty cool. So she got to walk out and stand on the pitch and, um, you know, in front of the players and they were on the big screen and all that. Pretty cool dad moment. I thought, man, this is awesome. Um, later on, she was telling us about it and um, some questions. You know, how was it? Did you meet the player? Did they talk to you? And her and her little buddy that were there, um, you know, they, they, I think they had asked one of the dads and said, oh, make sure you wave. You know, make sure you wave when you're on the camera. And they said, oh, no, Dad. They've told us we can't wave. He's like, oh, okay, all right, you can't wave. All right, well, if you can't wave, just give us a wink, you know. He said, we're watching. All your friends are watching. And just give us a wink. Oh, no, Dad, they told us we can't wink. 
Wow, okay, you can't wink. All right, well, just smile when the camera comes past. You know, give us a big smile. Oh, but, Dad, we're not allowed to show our teeth. Not allowed to show our teeth. You're a seven-year-old kid. (sighs) We want unity. And yet unity looks like uniformity. Do what we say. This is how it must be. Oh, thank Jesus for his unity. Seriously, like, thank you. Like, the world unity is completely look the same. Uniformity, there's no freedom in that. Okay, Jesus' unity is, is diverse. Come as you are. Your weaknesses are included. And actually... I bless that. That's, I'm all over that unity. You know. And then, don't stay there. Go out and do something with it. That, that is, that, I just could not get a stronger contrast in my head of what unity is in Jesus' model and what I saw. And I just thought, wow, that is why we need to be radically attractive with the gospel because it gives us such a hope, such a freedom. It's the most liberating view. You know, you don't have to be um, camped in your corner guarding your views of Christianity. No, like you, you have freedom. You have the, tr- you have the truth you. you know, years ago, um, I'm just trying to remember his name, um, a well-known documentary sort of person was asked the question, why don't you believe in God? And his answer was, well, cancer in children's eyes? I'm trying to remember his name. I can't remember. Well-known guy. And, uh, and the reporter, you know, sitting there listening, oh, yeah, right. How could, we be- how could there be a God when that kind of takes place? I mean, simple answer. How do you know that's wrong? If you know what good is, how do you know what good is? Where does good come from? How do you know what good is? Oh, well, maybe that's a question. It's easy to know when you have the gospel because God is good. He is the basis of good. Where do you get your basis from good if you don't believe in the gospel? You don't know what good is. God is good. We can be radically attractive because we have the truth, the fundamental truth of Jesus Christ and everything he has done for us. So anyway, John 17, Scripture. I pray for them, verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and you, all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a medical doctor who converted to Christianity. He went on to uh, minister at Westminster Chapel for 30 years, and he states, Our business and function is to show the beauty and the power of Christ to manifest to the world and to make a display of the glories and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Like our our one thing is to glorify God. Our business, our function is to show the beauty of Christ. So just three examples on this. Uh, Moses in the burning bush. You know, Moses in Exodus 3, 2 to 3, Moses was tending the flock of uh, of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priests of Midian, and he was led to the flock on the far side of the wilderness. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and I'll see the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I need to check this out. You know, it caught Moses' attention. He made him turn from his path to stop and to look. And he heard the voice of God. You know, I wonder about that scripture, and I wonder about Moses' story. Does anyone, when they see our life, kind of stop and look and go, well, what's different about you? You know, you're not swearing when everyone else is swearing. What's different about your life? You know, you're not putting those people down when others, that's just what we do. You know, what's different about your life? What is it that makes us people turn aside and look? 
Um, look, you guys know I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I had one moment the other day where I was just really, I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, come on, Julian, do this. I was in a, the Pack and Save supermarket, and I was waiting to put our groceries through, and the lady in front of us had already done her grocery shopping, and um, she had finished, and then she was about to head off, but she'd forgotten to get a couple of bags. So she reached around to get a few bags and put them in the trolley, and the lady on the checkout, who seemed to be in a bit of a rush to get rid of her, was sort of like, oh, well, that's 40 cents. Uh, but I've already closed my till. I've already, done the, I've already done the transaction. And I could tell she was just wanting her to move on and get on with it. And uh, the lady in front of me, the, oh, okay, and so she's fumbling around for a coin. She puts the coin on the counter, and the lady just, um, she just looked at her like, oh, what a hassle, you know. <laughs> and I was thinking, come on, man, just open the till and, and take a transaction. Anyway, I could see what was happening. And, and that, you know when there's that Holy Spirit moment, and he's telling you, come on, just do something, just say something in, in those moments. And I thought, all right, yeah, okay. And so I just said, oh, look, just, just let, just, she can just go. Don't worry about it. Just chuck it on, on, my, um, on my groceries. It's fine. She can go. And um, it's 40 cents. It's 40 cents. I tell you, the difference in this lady's life, or that moment anyway, she turned around and she looked at me, like actually looked at me, and with this bizarre face in it, and she said, oh, dear, bless you. And <laughs> I was blessed. I felt so good, like 40 cents, man. But I'll tell you something, like, and me was blessed. But I could tell in that moment, it was just a moment that may not have happened, may not have mattered. But for her in that moment, it mattered. It mattered. It mattered a lot because it was, you know, she was in a rush. Everyone was in a rush. We needed something to happen. And the lady on the till, I moved forward. And she sort of had this big grin on my face, like, thank you for helping that lady move along quickly. And, and I just kind of kept smiling, smile and wave. Okay, but I thought, man, it, I could have missed that moment. Like, how many moments do we miss like that? All the time. But I thought, sometimes, what, 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 what's, what's the story of that lady's life? Let's just, let, let's, just, um, let's just chuck out a theory. Maybe she'd come that morning from an abusive home. Maybe that morning she'd come from a meeting and she just lost her job. Maybe she had just driven that morning from another part of Auckland and uh, she had, you know, she had had a close call in the car and someone had, I don't know, I don't know what their story is. But in that little moment, I guess, is there times like that where God is reminding people, he's still looking out for them, he's still interested, he still loves them. All those things happen in our lives every day. I just give you that example because it's super simple and it's super plain, but I think we don't know where people are at, but we do know that the Holy Spirit is telling us, come on, shine, do something every day. Why not? Make it a habit of living radically. It didn't lead to um, multiple people in the checkouts getting saved and slain in the Spirit. I wish it would have, but that's coming. But I tell you in that moment, I was blessed. They were blessed. Everyone was happy. And pack and save, they were blessed somehow. They got an extra 40 cents. So it was good. So I'm just saying, like, you know, come on, we, we, we are here to shine as light every day, every single one of us. This is not for experts. This is not for the worship team. It's not for the pastoral staff. Every single one of us, wherever you are, there are moments we can shine for Him. We need to be, uh, you know, shining as light, attractive to Him. Yeah, cool. I'm going to leave it there. There's a few other things, but I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, and I... Just invite the worship team up. Uh, as I think about this message about building for a better tomorrow, <clears throat> I just get a sense as well that as God continues to uh, work through our young people, through our camps, through, through this church and through the baptisms and the things God is doing, 
Let's get a sense that God is saying <clears throat> he, wants to, he wants to work through every single one of us. There's no spectators in his kingdom. You know, we're all participators. We're all here to play a part, to do a part, and to be his hands and feet, to, to bring the loaves and the fishes, whatever they may look like in his kingdom. So why don't we stand this morning, church?